everybody, and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index Copa Libertadores podcast. Uh, we've had a full round of fixtures. Uh, we're a day late, my fault this week. But joining me to talk through everything, as always, we have our original four in the form of Adam Brandon in Chile. How are you this evening, Mr. Brandon? All well with you? Yeah, I'm fine. Picked up an injury playing football this week, but I'm on the road to recovery, so my team won't miss me for too long. You're not a bit old to be playing football, no? I'm 33. I, ne- I, was, I never relied on pace. So, ah, so you're um, in your prime. <laughs> yeah, I'm in my prime. Yeah. <laughs> and next up, Medellin in Colombia, we have, uh, as always, Simon Edwards. How are you, Simon? Any great ideas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a few pre-pods thinking through a few, you know, kind of uh, spin-offs on some of the World Football Index favourites. So we're going through perhaps an evolution of 11 pieces of me. So I suggested maybe... Uh, 11 pieces of meat where we go through some footballers with meat puns in their names or 11 pieces of cheese so you know these are some options i'm just putting them out there i'm not taking any credit i'm not i'm not claiming these for myself they're out there if you want to use them you go ahead well, you, you've got two pieces of cheese already with those two podcasts as far as I'm <laughs> but listen third up because i'm sure we need the weather report from the usa so as, as always we have austin miller Austin, number one, where are you in the country? Because you're never in one place. And, and what's the weather doing? Uh, answer to question one, I am in Chicago. Answer to question two, it is cold and rainy. So about the same as it always is. Uh, back and what about your... question three? I'm very happy. Palmeiras had a good that, week. There you go. I'll that's leave it at that. A... We'll get into it later. Fox's text. I've saved you a whole pile of talking crap there. Uh, <laughs> but listen, before we actually go into the pod this week, uh, we're going to go across to Adam, who... Uh, had a wonderful idea during the week of, of something to do within the website and so on. We we'll want to sort of publicize it a little bit. So very quickly, Adam, over to yourself. Yeah. So the plan is here at World Football Index, we're kind of offering you the chance to interact with us by documenting football culture on the streets and towns and cities around the world. And you can do that by basically sharing the hashtag WFI. That's WFI. E-Y-E, and via that hashtag, you can basically share a photo of something that you think represents you know, football culture, maybe in your region or a place that you've visited. And, um, and yeah, we should, we should be able to build up quite a good collection of, of photos from around the world and, uh, and sort of compare these, the football cultures that we love so much across, across the world and kind of the best ones we hope to sort of feature and maybe do a feature on them on the website in the future. So, yeah, get involved. You can get in touch with me at Canija Scores or at World Football Index if you're unsure um, if, your, if your photo is suitable or not. But, yeah, basically anything which you think is, is suitable, then let me know. Uh, but please, no photos of, you know, a selfie in the stadium or just a picture of a stadium or something like that. It needs to be a little bit more creative than that. There's a few ideas already on on that WFI hashtag. You know, graffiti and wall art are especially welcome. Well, there we go. You know what to do. And if anybody's passing by the Craigie Estate, somebody take a picture of the George Best mural for me, please, because I can't. (laughs) Uh, You'll know what I'm talking about, the gable wall. Anyhow, listen, let's get back into this podcast. And thankfully, Adam, you, you, you alerted me to the fact this was an early kickoff and we were treated to quite an opening this week uh, in the form of uh, Deportivo Iquique for Zamora 3. 
Uh, it had a bit of everything. This game, the second half was was absolutely brilliant to watch. Absolutely thrilling game of football, and involving one of maybe the the most bizarre penalties I've seen this year. Adam, yeah, yeah, it was just a crazy game. Um, Akike having won four one last week in Venezuela um, against Samara. You know, they entered this one with plenty of confidence, and um, it was it was a great chance for them to get back into the picture in this group because you know before they went to Venezuela last week they're on zero points six points behind the top two this provided them with a great opportunity to close that gap and now they've now that they ended up winning this one they're just a point behind but the way they did it is 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 quite remarkable really you know first of all you know I've got to point out that they are playing their home matches in this competition in a city called Kalama which is actually 400 kilometers south of Akike because at the moment Akike don't have a suitable stadium to host Gobba Liberty Stories matches. Their current one was damaged in a big earthquake here in 2014 um, and they're real rebuilding that one at the moment. And yeah, they, they played out an amazing match in Kalama, which has a little bit of altitude. The first half, Zamora started well in the first few minutes and, and they kind of took the game to Akike a bit. But then Akike took control of the match halfway through the half and um, and a fine finish from Alvaro Ramos gave them the lead. And Ramos had a goal really harshly ruled out as well just before halftime. But at halftime, Akike 1-0 up, probably should have been 2 up. And you're thinking, oh, this is probably going to be a comfortable victory for them. But as you say, Dave, the second half was just incredible scenes, really. After about two minutes, I think it was, in the second half, um, Zamora were very much on the front foot and they won a penalty. Ricardo Clark converted it. And as you say, Dave, it was a it was a bizarre penalty as he kind of just rolled the ball gently past the goalkeeper. And the goalkeeper just seemed bamboozled by this technique and just fell on his ass. It was really, really odd. Ricardo Clark, I have to say, he was Zamora's real big threat. And they ended up taking him off at a key moment in this match, which I'll come on to in a bit. But Zamora had a really good spell after they equalised and they went and they nearly went 2-1 up and then they did eventually go 2-1 up and they should have made it 3-1. And at that point, you're thinking, oh, they're probably going to regret missing that. And so was the case because with just eight minutes to go, Akika equalised. And I think at this point, at 2-2, I think Zamora then made the change to bring Ricardo Clark off who was offering them quite a good outlet. Despite Zamora going back into the lead at 3-2, with just, I think, five minutes to go at that point, they then Zamora really struggled to get out of their own half for the last few minutes of this game. And Akike were able to build up pressure. And you sent... Two goals in yeah. injury time, Adam. You know, a six yeah. minute injury well, time period is fantastic. As I said on Twitter that Akike have somewhat of a habit of scoring late goals especially over the last couple of years in Chile, that they've scored quite a few. This season, they've already come back from 2-0 down with about 20 minutes to go in a league match. So, you know, this wasn't a huge surprise to me. But obviously, the late, late goals to score two in injury time, I think that's the first time it's ever happened in a Libertadores match to turn a match completely on its head. And it's the first time since 1976 where there's been four goals scored after the 80th minute mark in a match. So some remarkable scenes, really. But two well-worked goals, really. Caraco hit a great shot 
to equalise on the 92nd minute. And Bielkovic, who scored two last week in, in Venezuela, popped up with the winner with pretty much the last kick of the game. And, and there was a great shot of the Zamora manager. The camera kind of just zoomed in on his face just like seconds after the goal. You know, you could just see that he was trying to work out just exactly what happened to his side in the, in those last few minutes. But yeah. They fell, they fell out of the couple of Adores for this season because that's them gone, surely. Yeah. Had them. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's given the Kika a major lifeline. Um, we come on to the other game in this group later, which saw Gremio claim a big win over Guarani. And that pretty much means that that, that Akike go to Guarani next, I, I believe. And that game is looking like a huge game in this group now. So yourself, Austin, great game of football. Yeah, it was it was absurd. It's everything that makes the Libertadores what it is. I just very quickly there wanted to point out that that Akike guarani match will actually be on the last match day. So Akike host Gremio before that. We've seen Gremio rest players in this competition already. I don't think they'll do it in that match. But a chance for Akike to, you know, they might need points in that match to get out, depending on what happens to Guarani against the Zamora team that, as you said, they're long gone from the competition now already. Oh, yeah, uh, of, of course, because the, the teams who who played in the opening fixture also match up in the, in, the, in the last fixture, isn't it? It's the same in every group, yeah. Yeah, you're quite right there. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting because if if Akike win, Guarani failed to to get something away to to Guarani. Yeah, Guarani must have to go away to Zamora. No, you know that that could prove tricky, tricky, and and Akike might find themselves ahead of Guarani going into that last game and only needing a point or something. But it's, things are certainly looking up for Akike after after a poor start in this group. Right. So moving on to to the second game, then uh, is Atletico took a man against Jorge Wilsterman. Uh, I didn't see any of this one, Simon, um, with, with, with the way things clashed up. Uh, what, what did you make of this one? Yeah, it was quite a good game. Uh, obviously, a very good atmosphere again in uh, Tucumán. The stadium's always packed, very close to the pitch, the fans. So an intense atmosphere. Uh, Woodsman also brought some fans across, which was nice to see. In terms of the game, uh, Tucumán were on top for most of it. Um, they had a fair goal disallowed, unfortunately. Uh, a corner was taken short. The, the guy whipped it to the far post. He was well on side when it was kicked. The referee thought it had taken a clip off a defender, uh, an attacker's head uh, on the cross, but it hadn't. So the, when the ball went into the net, the player who put it in should have been on side. So that's unfortunate. But really, Tucumán were under, you know, putting pressure on Wilson throughout the game. Uh, Raúl Olivares uh, in goal for Wilson did really well, saved a lot of, a lot of good attempts. So really, they came down to just a lot of pressure from Tucumán, pressing for the for the win. Wilsterman looked good on occasions, but they had six or seven good chances to come in to score. Finally, the goal came in the second half, 51 minutes. Ignacio Canuto uh, scored for the home side. It was uh, a really nice goal, actually, down the right wing. The player was one-on-one with the keeper with a quite a tight angle, but he managed to clip it over the keeper and it came across and Canuto headed into an open net. So a nice bit of innovation on the right wing. Quick thinking, nice little clip pass into the middle. Uh, and then again, a very similar goal. Uh, David uh, Barbona again headed in from a cross on the right wing. So uh, Tucumán, yeah, they look comfortable at the end. Uh, Luis Carlos Cabezas uh, pulled one back for Wilsterman. Uh, but really, Wilsterman had two or three decent chances across the game. But Tucumán had seven, eight, nine, ten. Could, they could have taken the lead in the first half. You know, constant pressure from the from the home side. They look good. Good, you know, passionate fans in the stadium driving them forward. 
so a good win for Tuchelman. Uh, Wolfsburg have been fairly impressive so far. So they weren't an easy opposition, but obviously with the home advantage, they definitely dominated the game and had a lot of chances to score. The keeper did well for Wolfsburg. And in the end, they finally made the pressure pay. Uh, despite the consolation at the end, they, they held on. And yeah, good win for the Argentinians at home. And it's, it's quite an interesting group, this one. I know we'll talk a little bit more with Palmeiras being in it with Austin, but again, it's, it's one of these ones, it's, it's not very clear at the minute what way it's going to go. It's, it's wide open, basically. Yeah, you know, it's, look, it's looking tight. Um, obviously, that was a very, very important win for the, for the Argentinians. So at the moment, Palmeiras, we'll talk to them about the end, but they're looking good at the top with Wilsterman on six points, Tucumán on four, and then Peñarol on three points. So, you know, all of those teams are in contention still um, with two games remaining. Uh, Wilsterman still have that advantage, but a very big win for Tucumán gives them a bit of momentum against their close rivals for that second position. Big two games towards the end of the, the campaign to decide this one. But yeah, there's three teams who are still in for a sh- with a shout. Simon, you know, obviously I didn't see this one. And, you know, the last couple of times I've seen Tucumán, they haven't looked at all good. I take it they're starting to pay. You know, we we had touched on it in the early pods about the fact that the Argentinian league was slow and starting and so on. Do they look better? Yeah, they definitely do. Um, they were playing some nice football. They had the advantage of most of this game. It was a decent game of football. Wilsterman were breaking quite well. They were passing it pretty well as well. So it, overall, it was a good balanced game. But the Argentinians definitely had the edge throughout the throughout the match. And on another day, they could have scored in the first half and, and kind of cruised to a to a more comfortable win. In the end, two goals. They had one pullback and it, and it made it quite tight for the last few minutes. But they still looked fairly controlled and they looked just as likely to score a third as Wilsterman were to equalise at the end. So, yeah, much improved, really. Nice and nice football. Played the ball out wide well. You know, got it into the box. You know, it seems like they've got a good balance of the team. And with the home advantage, the the passionate fan base there, close to the pitch, I think they're looking better. I say, well, move, moving into our next game, uh, and obviously I'll come to you on this one, Adam. Again, another 2-1 for an Argentinian side. Uh, San Lorenzo winning 2-1 over uh, Universidad Catholico. I really enjoyed it. You know, you, you, you've brought uh, San Lorenzo to our attention, basically, with that the, the Wonder Wall last week. And I've been, I've been on YouTube this week doing a wee bit of research on them, and that is one fun club. I'm, I'm almost behind them. Uh, so Great set of fans. They seem, they seem to just be quite a fun set of supporters. And what wasn't what you would call the, the fullest of stadiums there, Adam, but they made some noise. You know, won it late on, and it's just another good game of football this week. Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a very, very good game of football, very entertaining match. And I, I, I think overall, I think probably a draw would have been a fair result. Catholica's inability to defend crosses came back to haunt them at something they struggled with in the league as well this season. But yeah, kind of a story of the game. San Lorenzo took the lead deservedly in the first half through Blandy. Blandy also scored um, in Chile last, last week as well. So yeah, he, he, he looks quite a talent for San Lorenzo up front. And San Lorenzo, you know, they went in at half time, and at that point, you're thinking... Catolica really need to come out in the second half and produce something special now to, to get something out of this game. And um, and they did do that, to be fair. I, I thought Catolica's second half display was excellent and warranted at least a point. So they'd be gutted that they gave away all three in the end. And I fear that could prove a costly result. They had, they had numerous chances before a great e- equaliser finally came via Fernand Cordero, who cut inside the box, uh, received a pass, cut inside the box and drilled a shot into the roof of the net. It was a quality goal. 
sort of reminded me of Robin, the kind of goal he scores, just a little bit closer to goal. But shortly after that, defender uh, Kusevic for Katolika, he, he, he got a red card and that just gave San Lorenzo the little boost they needed. And uh, Christian Barrios, who was making his debut for San Lorenzo, headed in a dream winner. And that, and that win keeps San Lorenzo's hopes alive in this group. But yeah, like I say, from a Chilean perspective, this was a very disappointing, disappointing result, um, especially given the way Catolica played in the second half. And it, and it is a, it's, it's a real frustration for their fans, I think, in this Liberty Stories this year. Because if you cast your minds back to sort of a game against Atletico Paranese, the first half against San Lorenzo in Chile last week, and this first half this week against San Lorenzo, in those three matches, they had really poor first halves where they just didn't really come out. But they played excellent in the second half. They're a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde side over a 90 minutes, really. Poor in the first halves and good in the second they got their winner against Flamengo in the second half as well. But yeah, so they've got Flamengo away uh, next up and then they follow that up with a home match against Paranense, who are quite well placed at the moment. So yeah, I, I think they're probably going to need four points from those last two games is my gut feeling. But this, this is, this, you know, we said the, the last group was competitive. This is, this is mega competitive here. You know, there's three points separating top from bottom. One win changes everything. And San Lorenzo were, were a little bit a little bit slow to get into this competition, Adam. I, I felt and how, how, just how big a win do you feel? Because I think that that's massive for San Lorenzo. They yeah. it, it looked like there was a weight lifted off their shoulder in winning that. Oh, oh definitely, yeah. Because you know they hadn't picked up anything against the Brazilian side, so to get four points off Catolica, who had done well against the Brazilian side, you know, means that this group has sort of evened itself out. Like you say, all the all the teams grouped together. As for San Lorenzo's slow start, I think that was partly down to the fact, you know, the strike going on in Argentina and the Argentine league starting so late meant that, you know, they came into this competition cold. No, couldn't agree more with you. Um, as I say, I'm, I'm just hoping that to, to see a few upsets. You know, you know, I'm not particularly fond of all these Brazilian teams going through or the idea of it. But listen, let's move on to one of those Brazilian teams. And uh, Austin, I'm going to come to you because I'm going to have this out with you in this podcast. Atletico Mineiro uh, beat Liberdad uh, two to nil. How I just don't know because I watched this game and over the course of the 90 minutes, I thought Liberdad was by far better. Um, but Monero ran out uh, two 0 winners. Uh, even had a goal from Rubinho in there. But like, Fred, seriously, I know you defend him, but I just wonder how you defend this guy. Can't run, can't jump, can't shoot. Um, I think his final action of the game was from the inside night, and then this is inside the six yard box. He managed to take a shot, and it almost hit the corner flag on the right hand side, all uh, because just it just didn't have the power to hit the corner flag. Uh, this this guy is rubbish. How is he the top scorer in Brazil for every bloody year? Hi, hi! I just look at it and it just beggars belief. Wow, there's a lot in that question. Uh, firstly, I disagree with the assertion that Libertad were the better side here in this match. I didn't think they offered all that much. I thought Atlético. What game were you watching? I, I thought Atlético <laughs> Mineiro were the better side here. I thought they did something that we mm. have not seen them do at all in this competition, which is defend and keep a clean sheet, and that is a big result for them. They, they desperately needed that to happen. Uh, as far as Freddy is concerned, is he at the highest level in the world? Obviously not. 
We saw that in the 2014 World Cup, etc. But I think for what he is, he's a very capable player. He has a good goal-scoring instinct. He finds himself in the right position. And perhaps most importantly for him, on this Minato team, he's surrounded by players that can help him take advantage of those positions. He's got, I think, probably the strongest midfield in Brazil, if not one of the strongest. Elias, a former Brazilian national team player, very strong since he's come back from China. Robinho, who is still very talented at where he's at now. Romulo Otero is really good at, at free kicks. He's not really good at much else. Juan Casadas, the Ecuadorian, comes off the bench and can be dangerous. I think Rafael Carioca is, is a good defensive midfielder. I think this is a very talented Atletico Mineiro side going forward in the attack. And I think they have the right player in that number nine shirt to take advantage of that. Is Freddy going to go and make his own goals? No. But he's a good finisher, and that can sometimes be what holds these Brazilian teams back, is the fact that they don't have that finisher, that they play that ball, and whoever it falls to pings it over the bar or sends it straight wide. And yes, he'll have those moments when he does that, but at a rate that most people in, this, in that area don't have, he converts. And I think that is what allows him I, to be so successful. I also I saw this again. Can I kind of referee... This. Yes, make a decision. <laughs> Please do, Adam. <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually the first time I've I've seen um, Atletico Mineral in 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 this year's edition. And to be honest, they didn't impress me. The first half, I thought they were the better side slightly, although there wasn't there wasn't much in it. I I, I thought that Romelu Otero, the the guy Austin just mentioned there with his free kicks, you know. He he was he looked a quality player here in Chile. I was surprised he got a move to such a big club in 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 Brazil. You know his speciality is his free kicks, which are awesome. I, I've I've made this point on Twitter a few times. If football worked slightly differently, like another sport like American football, where you could bring players on just for certain plays, I think Otero would be one of the most valuable players in football, as his free kicks and set piece taking is that good. But in his, in general play, he goes missing for long periods. So, but I, I think he's a I think he's a good player in Brazil because so much Brazilian play is based on set pieces anyway. Through what I see of it, so you know, he, I think that's why he gets so much more game time than he probably deserves because Juan Cáceres, who probably should be in his position, the Ecuadorian international. Uh, I think is a far better player than him. I think the managers like the threat that Otero has on those set pieces. But anyway, what about the second half, Adam? Yeah, Who's so, a better yeah, team I, overall. That's what yeah, we're trying so, to get. So, <laughs> so, 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 I digress. So yeah, the second half started with uh, Libertad certainly looked the better side at the start of the second half, and I thought that the Paraguayans probably deserved to take the lead in that spell that they had at the start of the second half. And then it just seemed like out of nowhere, suddenly Rubinho popped up. And Rubinho had such a quiet game as well up until that point. I barely noticed he was on the on the pitch. But, you know, I, I think the difference between these two sides was the quality of finishing ultimately in front of goal. And, and Rubinho, I, you know, he's nowhere near as effective as he once was as a player. But, you know, finishing from a few yards out, you know, is easy for him still. You know, that, that kind of thing never leaves you. Yeah, he scored a quality goal. Cazares got the other one as well after coming off the bench. 
And I just thought that was the difference between the two sides, really, the quality of finishing. But I thought I felt that Libertad were probably the better side to watch out of the two of them. But yeah, no, but nothing Austin, more to say. Austin, I'm going to come back to you again, you know, just to counter what you were saying to me there. And there's no doubt about it. As you say, probably the most talented midfield in Brazil. But given, like, you know, I, I know it's, it's, it's like Harry Kane territory I'm, I'm drifting into here. You know, I can't deny his strike rate, but the amount of chances that are created for this guy that he, he puts in rows Z. Monero could be doing so much better with someone with just that little bit more quality than Fred. No, I don't think there's any doubt that they would do better with a player of a better quality than Fred. But my counter to that would be, is where are you going to find that type of player? I just don't think there is that caliber of striker in Brazil or even really in South America at that point. I think the guy who impressed us most as a striker in South America last year is fair to say, was Miguel Borja, and his debut at Palmeiras has had moments of success, but has also been poor at points. And so, sure, of course they'd do better with a better striker in that position, I just don't think that's a very feasible thing for them to be able to find, because I don't think there's that type of striker in South America right now. They have a great midfield, and the guy they have is is finishing enough chances to score enough goals for them to win matches. This was a huge result for Atletico Mineiro. They desperately needed this. They hadn't impressed. Again, I, I won't argue with the point that they didn't impress in this match. I don't think they did. But they got three points out of it, and they needed to get three points. And now they do look like they're going to get out of this group. And coming into this match, there was a question to that. So it's a good result for them, even if it wasn't as impressive as it could have or perhaps should have been. I'm certainly not signed up to either the... Fredgy, is it Fredgy? It's pronounced Fredgy, um, yeah. <laughs> Fredgy uh, fan club, nor the Borger one really. At first, Borger impressed me, but he's one of those players. The more I see of him, the less convinced I am. If I had to pick one striker from South America in 2016, it would probably be Nico Castillo, who played here in Chile, although he didn't get the chance to prove himself kind of on the on the continental stage here. Tell you what, Al Rio at, uh, at River Plate, 10 times a striker, you know, and if you're talking in, in South American terms, for sure. what Fredgy is. For this year, absolutely. Al Rio is very good yeah, as well. I, yeah. I would agree with that. But as far as last year was concerned, I thought Borja was certainly one. And Castillo, you know, he was successful and then boom, he's off to Mexico. And there's not many teams in South America that can pay the type of money that he got to make that move to Pumas. It's hard to find consistent strikers in South America. It's just the fact of life. That's just the way that it is for these teams. Anytime a striker gets remotely consistent, boom, he's probably off. So for what they have, you know, Fredgy might be as good as you can do. Yeah, Fred Fredgy just knows how it works, doesn't he? He he just knows his role in a in a typical Brazilian side. And yeah, he's he's effective in that. But if if I think injuring spectators. I think if you transferred him to another league in South America where he'd have to try and adapt his game to a different style or, you know, to a, a different style of play in general, I, I think I think you would see that he would struggle. I think he's just comfortable where he is and he knows what areas to be in at the right time. And, and that's and that's how he gets kind of his goals record. Well, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll leave him behind and, and move on to our next game, which saw Independiente Medellin um, come away from Melgar with all three points, winning 2-1. to one. Uh, Simon, 
they're back in contention again, uh, one of your Colombian sides. I'm sure you're very happy with this one. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, of the Colombian sides, this is the Colombian sides that I'm I'm really warming to. Uh, you know, my my allegiance is slightly more national than Medellin traditionally, but I'm being I'm being bought over by a number of things about this team. Uh, in this game, they weren't they weren't dominant from the beginning. Uh, uh, the first half was quite even. Melgar were looking fairly strong. It was quite you know an even game. Um, Medellin started to come into it in the second half a little bit more, and then just as it looked like Medellin was starting to build a little bit of something, they scored. They conceded a very unlucky goal. Uh, Juan Fernando Quintero. Um, basically, they, uh, Melgar had a corner. It broke away, and there were three or four Medellin players looking to break. So Quintero, you know, backing himself, trusting himself, went for it to ping a long through ball, and it ended up 40 yards behind him, straight onto the feet of uh, Emmanuel Herrera, who had a one-on-one with a goalkeeper. So he managed to go from the edge of his own, you know, maybe 40 yards from his goal, looking to pass the ball long forward to the opposition goal. The ball ended up in the, his own penalty area. So from the best player on the pitch, it was a really big mistake. But very, very shortly after, Medellin equalised. So three minutes later, uh, Marlon Pierreita, who's the fullback for Medellin, uh, had the ball at the edge of the box, dropped a shoulder and then pinged a really, really nice shot. It's worth checking out on uh, YouTube. Right into the top corner, 35 yards, an excellent goal. And then two minutes after that, uh, Juan Fernando Quintero was breaking forward, just driving towards the goal. Uh, and he slipped a really, really nice finish uh, into the bottom corner to give Medellin the lead. From then on, Medellin were in control. They looked much, much stronger. Uh, they could have had another couple of goals, uh, lots of good chances towards the end. So overall, much, much better for Medellin. You know, I'm really liking how this team's coming together. Uh, at the start of the tournament, I, you know, I mentioned they had a really good midfield and, and a team to watch. Uh, goalkeepers decent. Former Man City goalkeeper David Gonzalez. They've got uh, Mosquera, who's really good centre back, much more combative. And then uh, Saiz was playing, and Saiz is a player I really, really like. He was playing at Envigado. He moved to Argentina and didn't quite make an impact, you know, a few years ago. Um, then moved to Medellin, and he's really, he's very, very composed, very, very intelligent. And then at fullback, they've got Piedrita, who's an attacking right back. And they play Luis Arias, who's a former winger striker, is now become a left back. He's in his 30s now, and he's become a left back. He's a classy player and he's a decent defender as well. Then in midfield, they have uh, John Hernandez, who's very good. Didier, Didier Moreno, who's a good ball winner. Uh, and then a player I really like is uh, Marugo, who's kind of the mixed midfielder. You know, very composed, captain of the team. And then Juan Fernando Quintero. And they started the game as well with uh, Leonardo Castro, who's now back up front. So Castro, again, is very quick. He had a few chances. You know, when Medellin were breaking, he was one of the key players. Uh, and they also have Caicedo to come off the bench. So I really like this Medellin team. Uh, they also have Valentin Viola playing as well on the wing. So I, I'm happy that they're back in contention. They look good. They didn't play uh, Juan David Valencia. The last week's pod, I said he was terrible. <laughs> and at the weekend, he scored a possible Puskas goal of the year contender. So <laughs> making me look bad. He uh, nonchalantly flicked the ball over the defender's head, nutmegged the next one, dropped the shoulder pass to slide in tackle, and then pinged the shot from a very, very tight angle. So, you know, that goal's made my opinion look pointless. So maybe ignore everything I said about Medellin just now, because well, I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Simon, you know, obviously, Colombian sides have not had they've not had a great year so far in in, in, in the tournament but you see Medellin is probably the, the, the strongest that we've seen because you know obviously Nationals uh, sort of defence has, has fallen away to nothing um, do you, you know and you've also got Santa Fe in there but Medellin look, look to be the ones with the form at the moment 
Yeah, I mean, obviously Santa Fe are Santa Fe, and we're all big fans of Santa Fe on this podcast. Um, but Santa Fe, we're going to grind out results and get things here and there. But I think Medellin are the one Colombian team that can really play that attractive, passing, pass-and-move, creative Colombian-style football. You know, the kind of Colombian football which you know, which is you know so attractive when it's played well. I think Medellin is the one team that has that balance with those midfielders. You know, Nacional have a solid defence, a good goalkeeper. Uh, Santa Fe are kind of efficient when they're playing well and, you know, tough to beat, you know, athletic. But Medellin have those midfield creators and, you know, especially with Quintero. For me, he's the best player in this tournament, uh, just about. I, you know, I definitely say he's up there. He's definitely the player I enjoy most watching. Surprise, surprise, number 10. Um, but he's, uh, yeah, he's definitely a class above. And I think the the collective play and the the play pieces are all in place to get the most from Quintero now when now when Medellin have their full team together so it's just a shame that he's probably going to go somewhere else in Europe in the in the summer and you know that's really going to have a big impact on on Medellin but it's a team I think is when they have their best 11 is organized can play good football I'm hoping they qualify and I'm hoping they keep going from strength to strength because things are looking a little bit better now okay well let's move on to a result um, it made me very happy, and obviously I'm going to come to you, Austin, on this one, and that was uh, Atletico Paranaisi 2, Flamengo 1, and there's a lot of highlights in this game, but but none more so than the, the man who decided, in his infinite wisdom, um, sort of halfway through the second half, that it would be a great idea, 2-0 down, chasing the game, to bring on Leandro Damiao. Uh, it, as, as you know, as you said to me on uh, in message, it never gets old, Austin, it never, ever gets old. And he never, ever improves. But I, I was actually very impressed with Paranese. You know, Flamengo scored very, very late on in the game. Uh, it was basically over uh, as a contest by that stage. But a really good result for them. And, you know, they find themselves top of this group now, which I, I don't think any of us probably at this stage after four games would have maybe maybe given them credit for. But they are doing themselves proud. They are. And, and this was so bizarre in taking notes on this game. And full disclosure... This game was across at the same time from the Palmetas match, so my full attention was not on this, but I saw the goals, I, I saw this match kind of develop. And after this match ended, I looked at the table and I said, Atletico Paranaense are in first in this group? With a bit of disbelief, because they haven't been all that impressive, and they haven't done all that much, but there they are on seven points, Flamengo on six. And they're not that fashionable either, no. you know what I mean? They're right. the most unfashionable of the whole group. Yeah, but they're on seven, Flamengo on six, Catolica on five, San Lorenzo on four, and there they are in first place. And it was a it was a good result for them, and I, I thought it was a deserved result. For whatever reason, this Flamengo team have looked vastly different away from the Medicana. Their two home matches at the Medicana, they've been impressive. They thrashed San Lorenzo 4-0, and they beat Atletico Paranaense. And then away from home, they've gotten beaten by Catolica 1-0. And then they suffered this 2-1 loss. And as you rightly pointed out, 2-1 was, was prettier than the scoreline should have been. This should have been a 2-0 game. Pat and Nancy gave one up late, you know, at the end. But they, they deservedly won this. It was not as close as that scoreline suggested. It felt, firstly, like Flamengo wasted chances. Uh, Paulo Guerrero had one that he, that he certainly could have taken advantage of. A couple of other opportunities in the box went frustratingly wide from the Flamengo point of view. Uh, Leandro Damian is still uh, I don't know I'll never get a it a joke I'm never going <laughs> to get it to be just honest a with joke. you but, um, but Austin you've got you can't deny the laugh we get every I, time it, it happens it's hilarious I just don't understand why he's the option they go to um, but sure go for it. it 
clearly has shown that it's probably not going to work for this side. Uh, and Flamengo are now in a position where they're going to have to fight to get out of this group. That the final match for them is going to be away to San Lorenzo, a team that are 100% different than the side that got thrashed at the Medicana. That's going to be difficult. Catolica at the Medicana has turned into a must win for Flamengo. Uh, I think the loss of Diego in the midfield ha- has been big for them. They don't really have a true replacement for that. They've struggled. The defense didn't show all that well in this match. Um, the first goal was bizarre. Uh, Thiago Heleno for Atletico Paranaense had this looping header to the far post where Alex Muralia just took a bad angle on it. He thought that he could take one angle and get there, and he couldn't. And next thing he knew, it was in the back of the net, and Paranaense were, were 1-0 up. And then Flamengo just got caught a bit too far forward for the second goal. And Paranaense countered them, got into a three-on-two situation, uh, and Felipe Jados was was wide open in the box and, and just passed it into what was in effect an empty net. As I said, Flamengo had chances in this match. They didn't take advantage of it. And they've, they've dug themselves a bit of a hole. And I think it's going to be tough for them. And it's going to be tough for everybody in this group. One result is probably going to define what happens here. You know, the difference between three points and one point is probably going to be what determines who comes out in first and second place and who goes home. Because at this point, it is that tight. Um, what did you make of this one, Dave? I know you saw it. Flamengo, I'm, I'm assuming, didn't impress you all that much. Paranaense, again, you know, they weren't world beaters, but they were clinical, I guess is maybe a word for it. They did what they had to do, and they're top of the group, whether we like it or not. No, indeed they are, and I loved the first goal, although I don't know what your thoughts were, but mine were that it was just really, really bad goalkeeping. He, yeah, he just didn't it was a bad angle. Kind of, you, know, you got to get that. It really was. He, he, you've got to be saving that, and, and even at that, there was a defender on the line as well, which made it sort of even more sort of unforgivable. But, you know, overall, I thought this was a really good game. I thought it was end-to-end. Um, as you say, the clinical side of, of Paranese was what shone through in the end, but they just looked like they had a little bit more about them. You know what I mean? It, it was a good game, but if, on the overall, the 90 minutes, you would have said, you know, it was a deserved result because Paranesi just had that little bit of, of, of something that Flamengo just seemed a little bit more flat. Certainly in front of goal, Flamengo worked themselves into, into decent positions. And again, maybe it's, it's the striker thing that you keep talking about. It just they seem very wasteful. Everything's very, you know, very tame shoot shooting and there's a team there with flamengo it's just they just don't seem to be able to sort of connect the dots with it and they austin does that does that make sense with you they're just not seem to be connecting with each other yeah and it's not just that and i think a lot of that is due to the fact that they don't have diego pulling the strings in that midfield i think when he arrived at the middle of last season you know the middle of last year in july he changed the outlook for this Flamengo team. He pieced together things like no one has been able to do. Him being out, I think, has had a negative effect. And for whatever reason, this is a, a different side when they go away from home. I don't know if it's because they the energy that is palpable in the Medicana isn't there. I don't know if that plays a role in it. I don't know if their mentality changes and they get caught up in, well, let's just hang on for a point or what. But as you said, they look that little bit flat and they look that little bit like they're a step slower in situations. And Paranaense took advantage of that and was able to get three points here. Great atmosphere for them at the Baixada, a place that they have been very successful at over the years. And they're probably kicking themselves for having dropped points there earlier in this competition against Catolica. Because if you give Paranaense those two points, they're looking to be in very good shape at this point. But 
the fact that they got pegged back in that match could loom large down the stretch. But they're in the position they want to be in. You know, still have one home match to go. It's going to be a tough one, but they're where they want to be. And everybody has a chance to get out of group four at this point. Two wins from anybody and they're out. And I think that is what is going to make this group so exciting down the stretch and so entertaining to watch. No, and there's decent teams involved there. Um, you, you know, I'll say it, it's, it's one of those lovely competitive groups. Listen, we've realized that we're going to run on a little bit long in this podcast. So what we're going to do at this point is actually going to break it. Yes, our regular listeners will understand what I mean by that. Uh, it will be broken into two parts and they'll both be released together. So uh, they're, they're just easier consumed. So until uh, part two, we'll bid you goodbye. <laughs>